Hey, hello. We have a live show October 25th in LA at the Terragram Ballroom at 7 p.m. All ages are welcome, though, you know, our humor, you know, judge accordingly. But still, want to let you guys know tickets are going fast. We're almost out of VIP tickets and we have some general admission tickets still going at chaluminatipod.com. You can go click that poster and go buy your tickets again. October 25th, take the day off. We're going to have a Halloween sort of themed live show. It's going to be super fun. And I promise you the opener of this thing is going to be killer. Anyway, that's all I got for you. Enjoy the mini-sode compilation. Chaluminatipod.com, October 25th. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, 100, episode 171. Alex is doing a weird octopus ooh, ghost ooh, dance ooh. or something. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure what this is. I'm just raising the either. roof. This psychedelic image. This is like the 70s show. The, the psychedelic images. It's like yeah, you're you trying to it. pop and lock it, but you don't know how to pop and or lock it. No, I'm just like a drunk lady at, at Burning Man <laughs> looking at my hands. <laughs> you are something. Let me, let me finish my introductions. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer of L.A., Jesse and Alex. What? <laughs> so specific. Whoa. Terrence okay. Hill and Bud Spe Spencer. Yeah, yeah. There what? you go. How did you even get on that? I just, you know, I'm not going to reveal my secrets. <laughs> did you just Did you just Google duos? I am, I'm not revealing my technique. <laughs> I'm just not. It's a secret that it will be It's definitely what you did. You have a to list of like, you Googled <sighs> famous duos and or couples. No. Nope. And you just printed a list off. No. Have you seen okay. They Call Me Trinity? I have not. Have you seen I don't even Django, know who they are. I don't know who coffin? those two people are. I don't know who they are. Oh, my God. Let's just put that out there. What about I the movie Watch Out, are. We're Mad, starring Terrence Hill and Bud Spence? That could be me and Jesse, for sure. Sure. And that one, that could be us, for sure. That's, that movie's about us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I have to believe you. And that's how I live my life at this point on this podcast. Um, <laughs> the uh, Before we move forward, hey, guys, we have hey. a live show, October 25th. Put that out there right now. Oh, Go yeah. get tickets. At ChaluminatiPod.com, we're about half sold at this point, I believe. I'm about half uh, sold. Right around you know there, half sold out. You know what I'm saying? Do I know what? I'm about, about half sold on the idea of Alex's big smile is what I mean. Something that I did not forget about in which everyone in the audience one minute into the show, literally probably everyone, I think, is going to put glow-in-the-dark vampire teeth in their mouth and we're all going to smile. I hate that it's also become like... Yeah, it, it became the thing. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. I Like I knew it would because it is an airtight. Well thought out idea. Yeah, that wasn't pulled out of your ass. Are we all wearing costumes? I mean, I guess we could. I'm going to dress as um, Magnum P.I., I think, is what I'm going to dress like. Well, I bought a Sully onesie. <laughs> so I'm going to show up. Oh, you're going. You're okay. All right. So, Mathis, if you want to dress up as Mike Wazowski, I feel I should, like that could I should be, great. be a pretty good Mike Wazowski. I should also buy a Sully onesie. <laughs> <laughs> Please get your tickets. Please come sell out our show again. That would be awesome. It's our third Halloween special in a row. I'm mean, so, so excited to just be on stage and talk about weird shit and finally do the opener that we have been wanting to do for months. <laughs> I'm so oh, Alex, God. you can be boo. We'll okay. dress yeah, you up as good. a little girl. Yay, there you go. Yeah, a little girl. I'm going to be a... I'm going to be in costume as a little girl, little human girl in a monster costume. Right, right. <laughs> 
yeah. And then after that, I'm going to whip out my glow-in-the-dark fangs one minute into the show. <laughs> Slap them in for Alex's big smile. Be there or be square, Los Angelinos and more. Be there or be square. Well, Alex, it's your day today. Yes. Today is all about you. Okay, uh, yes. You're taking, you're taking the reins from my weary hands Indeed. and running into the sunset as I clap for you. That's kind of how I feel every time that I do an episode. First things first, I just wanted to explain to everyone uh, that, ep- that this episode uh, is just we we're, l- were looking for a nice quick episode. I threw my hat in to do it. And just like last time I did that, it ballooned into another separate giant project that I want to do over an obscenely long amount of time. And it's going to definitely happen. That does not mean anything else other than that just like my low stakes game show episode, this one will also be classified as a Gaiden style Alex episode and will serve merely as a side story to my grander plans for episodes going forward and from time to time. I will revisit this format that we're about to do today with new entries and it will feel like a delightful treat. You have been informed. So you're not- like about to do some world building uh, for yeah, your actually, series? Actually, honestly, sort Is of. Is this like your George R.R. R. Martin moment where you tell us about the dragons? This is like this. We're talking. We're going all out. We're talking about the big guns. Game of Thrones season eight. The good oh, shit. You know what I'm talking about. Wait, hold on. What? You are kind of turning into George R. R. Martin, though. You refuse to finish yeah. any of the series you start. And I start a lot of other things that are tangentially related to my main thing. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of like what my career is, if you think about it. Uh, anyway, that doesn't mean that this episode is not going to be good quality or that it's not going to be fun. Just that I've had this hilarious idea for an episode kicking around in my head, or, or many episodes kicking around in my head for a while now. Didn't really fit with the rest of the stuff that I've been doing on the channel lately, but now I have a perfect excuse, uh, which is just literally nothing at all. I just wanted to do it. Uh, so uh, before we any before we do anything else, I want everybody to take off your shoes if you're wearing any. Do this for real. Take off your shoes if you're wearing any. Do a big stretch to release any tension you may be feeling in your back muscles. Good. And then head on over to patreon.com slash pod, where not only can you give us money to make more episodes, but we'll also occasionally give you a fun treat in return, like ad-free episodes, bonus mini-sode episode extensions, monthly digital art, or extremely early episodes to multiple future episodes of our new movie watch-along spinoff show, Rotten Popcorn, which is also uploaded to this very feed. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That's great. The coolest. So again, that's patreon.com slash pod where you can go. Try not to sound so enthusiastic about the project. You're a part of, Jesse. So cool. Ron Popcorn has been nothing but a gift. I am picking the next movie, and I, I cannot wait to watch it because it looks absolutely insane, and it's real, and that's what makes it even more insane. I'm very excited. Can I pick literally any movie? What? Can I Next time I pick a movie, can I pick literally any movie? As long as it, I, it has to relate to, look, we can't just keep watching weird videos that Mathis likes. We watched one about a naked secretary in the jungle last time. That's what I was, that was Mathis. I didn't choose that. Okay. All right. I'm trying to keep us on track. Okay, fine. All right. All right. How about if I promise to bring a movie that will freak out Mathis? I'm here for that. Okay. Okay. That I'm here for. I'm curious. Are we gonna what watch the lighthouse be. together? Is that what's gonna happen? Oh, the lighthouse. That would that be a fun watch. That should just be what the live show is, honestly. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Just a watch through of the a, lighthouse, a live Holy screening shit. of the lighthouse. Uh, but uh, no, I will. I will choose something that will blow your all of your minds. The rave review is what it'll get. That's what'll happen. Uh, but anyway, go to that website. Back to today's episode. What could it be about? What do you guys think it's about? It's not about the green stone. It's not about JFK. It's a guidance style episode, like I said. 
Does that mean anything to you yet? Uh, no. Not even in the least, no. Does any of the weird stuff that I say to you mean anything? Is it about Sometimes. ninjas? A, B, V, G, Q, B, R, F, A, B, G, Y, B, Y? A, V, G, N? Never mind. Let's just say that today we are going somewhere that I've been planning on going for a long time. And while today I make one small step for man, we are also go going to be taking a giant leap into big feet, which... If you don't understand what that is because it's not common phrasing, that's my clever, my clever plural name for Bigfoot and all of their international relatives. And if you haven't figured it out yet, that is exactly the subject that we are going to be getting into today. We're doing Bigfoot. And this is like the official Bigfoot episode. This is Big Feet, part one of question mark. Don't get too, <laughs> don't get too overexcited. <laughs> don't, Listen, I have to make a request. It's just one for we now. It's just okay, one for we now. We're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it. Three unfinished Alex series. This is not a series. In the ether. This is not a series. People are going to start dropping from the no. podcast. Is, They're going to be like, is, I'm taking my money back. I can't support this. Think about, think, about, think about this as a nature pamphlet that you pick up every once in a while. You find a new one. Has a few more things. When I run out of ideas, I'll make another Big Feet episode. In our first Halloween live show, didn't we cover the swamp, like the swamp monkey one Indeed. that we, uh, the floor or whatever it was? And Indeed we saw we that did. sweet picture of it that was definitely A real, real picture? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But let me tell you something, campers, because here in the Chilibonati, we take Big Feet seriously and we do things by the book. I'm just as excited as you are to learn about our hairy forest neighbors. And trust me, we're motherfucking going to. But in order to be certified members of the Chiluminati Forest Volunteers Team Special Big Feet Task Force, we have to remember the five toes of Big Feet, okay? So before we begin, we have to go over the five toes of Big Feet, okay? First toe. I hate Get how ready. well rehearsed this is. Here we go. Yeah. First. <laughs> what is it? That's the first toe. What is it? It's a physical description. Is it the big toe or is it the little toe? Which the direction are we going? This is this definitely is the, big the big toe. toe. Physical Most description of each big toe. easy to grab with your yeah. mouth. Mm. What does it look mm. like? Very important right. to get the correct picture in your head for when you're imagining it, doing all the stuff I talk about it, doing later. Pretty vital to get it out of the way as early as possible. That is indeed the big toe. Next toe. What does it do? Just like the second toe of the foot has a loose, limber quality to it, so too does this broad category that's meant to describe each Bigfoot's identifying behaviors. If you did this toe about me, it might say podcast a lot or lie. Uh, the third or middle toe <laughs> is a little clunkier <laughs> name was, uh, but we went with why is it? That's the name of the third toe to fit the format of the rest of the toes. Some Bigfoots are said to be naturally birthed creatures but others are said to have more paranormal origins. So we'll be getting into a lot of the stuff behind that on this toe. And it's the middle one because it's supposedly uh, supposed to be really pretty, nice, and meaty. But that's just based off my gut, if I'm being honest. So probably just ignore that. The fourth toe is the anchor toe. Who saw it? This is where we get into some real-world accounts of actual real people who claim to have seen these various apes and who may have a thing or two to show us that we haven't thought about until now because we actually were there. Okay, I mean, they were actually there, not us. It feels like you're there when you listen to the account of somebody who's been there, and that's why we have this toe. This toe is very important to the Big Feet Task Force mission of understanding the vibe of every unique type of Bigfoot. So that's why it's called the anchor toe. And on the foot, that you know, it anchors you. Th finally, the fifth. We have to know the first toe's dark opposite. Uh, and in that, while the first toe is the biggest, this one is the smallest toe. And also, while they are both on the edge of the foot, they are on opposite sides. This one does not just ask, what is it? It asks, what is it really? This is a wretched toe of the unbeliever, but nevertheless, it is a part of the foot. So we have to throw away. So we have to throw in the possibility that maybe some of these big feet don't actually exist. 
and that there may be other more mundane you, explanations for whatever it is people think they've seen. Alex, Alex truly is the ginger to this show's sushi. Like you just, uh, when you come in, it's like a reset to the palate That's what completely. you want. That's what you and, then, and then I just, <laughs> oh man. That is such a, <laughs> such a diplomatic way of putting that, Mavis. <laughs> I gotta keep us together. I can't have any infighting, so everything needs to be complimentary in some fashion. Five toes of big feet. This is not complimentary. This is essential. Oh, uh, that's the episode. That's gonna be the title of the episode. It's gonna be Bigfoot, the five toe rule. Big feet. That's big my feet? term. That's my. Yeah. That's new. That's part of my cryptozoological legacy. I gotta think of SEO over here, okay? Yeah, you're right. That's right. We probably shouldn't make up a new word every time we do an episode. Anyway, now that we've got that out of the way, it's time to take the five toes of big feet for a trial run with the first ape on our list, uh, who just so happens to be the real OG Bigfoot USA himself. Oh, yes. And I almost forgot. You should also be on the lookout for special footnotes that'll be uh, added on to our list along the way. It's just a fun way to learn everything there is to know about Big Feet, and I couldn't be happier that we're all here doing this together right now. Here we go. Number one, Bigfoot USA. Big Toe, what is it? Straight out of the gate. I'm going to break from most of the sources I've read and I'm going to make a specific point to identify the differences between an ape that I will call the hairy man or Sasquatch or Yayali or various other names, which has a much more specific and legitimate cultural origin and the North American creature known as Bigfoot, which is kind of more like a pop culture Coca-Cola Santa Claus mascot for mysteries in North America in the forest. Harry from Harry in the Hands. Yeah, kind of like how we have like the glow in the dark green, like gray alien guys that are just yeah. kind of like the mascot of UFOs aside from being any sort of real creature, right? Uh, they're just kind of like the fun version. Uh, oh my God, you reminded me of something. Yeah. I meant to tell you boys at the top of the episode, we got to cut here first, not cut. We got, I got to interrupt you. Yeah, I got to sure. interrupt you. It's okay. I had a UFO sighting and self debunking while I was away. Oh my God. So, okay. I, I was away visiting family out in New England. <clears throat> I was staying out in like the old parts of New England where there was not a lot of buildings, very like clear skies. It was gorgeous out. And the second night I was there, I stepped outside for my nightly, uh, like take, you know, smoke and say goodnight to myself. And uh, I, I was looking up at the skies as I always do. And I saw this, what looked like a star and it just fucking started zigzagging like all fucking over the place. And I was... I froze. My heart how, sunk. How high up was it? It was. It was hard to tell how 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 high up it was. It looked like a bright star. It like, just looked yeah, like okay. a like a, a glowing orb. And like was, it looked like it was in space, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, or or really high in the yeah, sky. Yeah, yeah. And I like my heart sunk, and I had to debate with myself: Do I run in and go get my phone because I didn't have it, oh. or do I sit here and just watch this thing? So I made the decision to run in. I grabbed my phone. I ran back outside, and as soon as I put the camera on, I swear to God, it stopped. And I was so confused. I was filming it and it was just standing still. And then I'd occasionally think it was moving and I'll be like, what is going on? Like, I'm I'm confused. So I was like, all right, before I do anything, I'm going to tomorrow night at the same time, I'm going to come back outside and see if like the same is like maybe it's a star and I'm being dumb and I'm just not understanding the optical illusion. So the next night I went outside and I went out a little earlier, but I debunked myself in the process. I looked up and there was another star in a similar position, uh, but like way more dim. But it was, though, is it was really close to a tree line that was also right in my oh. view. So as I moved and bobbed, the tree line was, was moving around yeah. and it made it look like the thing was moving. There's still a part of me that's like, but the way it moved seemed so weird. 
but I, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure. It was mm -hmm. just like the weird tree line position and it made it look like the star was moving in relative position. And I'm really bummed about That's it. That's the type for, of debunking that you don't even, like when you hear about, like I read about this type of thing all the time, right? And you don't even think about you that kind of thing. Yeah. You can't even really imagine how it's possible that a fucking tree line could make it seem like there's a fucking spaceship in the sky, but it can. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it really was. And I was like moving my head back and forth and it was like doing the same thing. And I'm like, fuck. What if this I, is the I, beginning of your disillusionment? What if this is your journey? No, towards no, I ref don't, don't do this to me. I can't do this. No, 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 no. We need to move <laughs> forward. Start talking right. about big. So what food. you're saying you're is right. that like some things in the forest sometimes uh, appear to be things, but aren't actually the thing you think it is in the forest. Is That's one saying. of the big things that the Big Feet Task Force at Chiluminati is all about, honestly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, and like I say, I'll be getting into the creature common to the stories of the various indigenous tribes and villages that speak the Salish and Penutian languages, which originate from the regions that are currently part of British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, and California. In a later Big Feet installment, TBA, sometime in the future, um, uh, I was a lot more ambitious with the number of big feet that I was going to cram into one episode before this. There's so many out there, man. There's, there's a lot so of toes. Many. There's a lot of toes. Yeah, on there's, a, there's, there's like, yeah, they're kind of mutated. Yeah. But for now, uh, let's talk about the friendly looking, hippy dippy, Americanized one that eats beef jerky, goes to music festivals and loves to get caught on very shaky cameras. Uh, and also just to get this out of the way, I'm not going to be talking very much about the Patterson Gimlin film today. Uh, we already talked about it a yeah, lot. We covered it pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah we've uh, been the there. Show. We've done that. It's and, but I think also we could do a story about it later, eventually, like as a more of a sort of documentary type thing about what happened when that film was seen or something like that. But that's, I feel like its own thing and not really about the monster itself. So don't worry about that for now. Uh, but to start, let's have Mathis answer the first toe with a quote from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Okay. All right, I like it. Yeah, so Mathis, I put it to you. What? I was just going to explain off memory, like seven feet tall, no, we usually. Right here. here we go. <clears throat> a large, hairy, bipedal, non-human primate that is distributed over the North American continent to varying degrees of concentration. Its massiveness, deviation from human bearing, and different gait leave no doubt in the mind of observers that they have seen a creature different from man or known animals. Exactly. Apparently, its skin can be anything from deep black to brown to red to gray. Uh, but some like constants... A, like a bear? Maybe? Yeah, sort of, well, mm. a little bit more of a range than bears. But gotcha. some constants are the wet-looking black nose, the lighter color soles, and palms of the feet. Kind of like how other monkeys get like light pads there to help them hold on to stuff uh, and climb. And their fur is kind of the same, showing up anywhere from black to orangutan, kind of like color to lighter eyes and whites. Uh, uh, lighter grays, I'm sorry, not lighter eyes. Lighter, lighter grays and white coats as they get older, kind of like how a gorilla gets older and it kind of gets a little grayer. Uh, they stink pretty bad in the manner of a stressed out gorilla shooting fight or flight smells out of their armpit glands. Uh, and while it's seven foot, 10 inch average body is hunched over, uh, has giant limbs and extremities and weighs between 500 and 1,000 pounds. Its head is fairly small compared to other primates. And there are some commonly occurring features such as a prominent brow ridge or sagittal crest or a large flat nose. They seem to exhibit features as diverse as humans can. Uh, so none of these things are necessarily make a break, right? Oh, they, they all have, they have all these different things. So maybe they just are as different looking as we are possible yeah uh so that's that toe next toe what does it do for this toe i'm gonna uh, go to jesse this time with another quote from the bfro 
uh, to answer, Jesse, what does it do? What it do? What does it what do? What it do? What does it, it do? It is a predominantly nocturnal animal, and its night vision exceeds that of man substantially. It is probable that this increase in night vision is a function of a larger eye and pupillary size rather than a reflecting layer. The animals walk with ease in seeming total darkness, but forge during the uh, forage during the day. An indication of their nighttime activity is the fact that they are seen as frequently during the night, if not more often than during the day, despite limited sight distance and detection by nocturnal observers. Exactly right. Uh, it also seems like Bigfoot doesn't really have any senses beyond those of a human who was raised naturally in the wild. Uh, quote, before the deterioration of their senses by pollution and noise. So it's close to what humans are capable of, but modern humans don't really have it because we've been destroyed by technology and modern living. Uh, and sure. they have an omnivorous diet similar to that of any human who might need to live off the land to survive. Uh, and extended to livestock, roadkill, and even urban garbage sometimes in some stories. However, unlike humans, they are able to kill most prey and indeed neutralize most threats with its huge fists, strong muscles, rudimentary unmodified tools and weapon implements, and the knowledge that twisting someone's joints does way more damage than just hitting them. So those are the things that they use as their weapons. Uh, interestingly, though, despite their intelligence and similarities with humans, they don't really seem to have domesticated much other than uh, the odd temporary sleeping shelter that people have sometimes said that they found and have never really been seen to have stored food anywhere for any real long amount of time, like in a sort of civilized way. Uh, mm -hmm. And they usually just get their water by dipping a cupped hand into whatever naturally occurring sources around and taking a sip. So they don't like have water storage or anything like that either. Uh, they're also said to live about 35 years based on their body mass. And according to a Bifro quote, mating has been uh, observed primarily between May and June, mostly between established pairs. And there is. Wait, 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 wait. There's people have seen Bigfoot fuck. Oh, yeah. I have never read a story where two big feet are getting it on. Somebody's there like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm observing this. You better check this. out the Beefro archives, baby. I guess I need to, man. I got to yeah. check out Beefro. You got to check out Beefro. Mating has been observed primarily between May and June, mostly between established pairs. And there is a suggestion of the birthing time lying between February and May. Most often, they're seen walking around with big gliding strides where they swing their arms alongside their bodies in big arcs, uh, which Beefro thinks comes from the fact that they walk in a fundamentally different way than humans do uh, without locking their knees and at an interval that is said to be, quote, impossible to duplicate or sustain for any distance by a would-be hoaxer, which is especially interesting since apparently up to 10% of sightings are of a Bigfoot that's running. So that's pretty crazy. <laughs> Uh, in terms of socializing, there's evidence of tender and caring family and extended family groups like some other apes, but they have also been seen traveling alone on many occasions, and while they are naturally docile creatures, they do take action to scare people off their turf, and have even been seen keeping a small bird or mammal to use as a companion slash living toy, and will freely slap an aggressive creature for being too fired up. There's a lot, a lot I'm learning right now. 
I know, right? Before we move on, just because it's so beautifully written, I want Mathis to read this excerpt from the Beefro description of their vocalization and communication habits because it actually is like a poignant description. Is that weird? I, I I'm, I'm ready, ready for this. I, I I am very familiar with the Sasquatch call. I just need to say it is absolutely hilarious to me that Mathis is like, I didn't know that. I had no idea that. Yeah, it's almost like you can just make up whatever and. <laughs> Or you can just okay, go out in the forest and see. You? Oh, you can go in the forest and see it for yourself, camper. You know, okay, exactly. Hey, My listen, bad. Survivor Man, that guy who had that great show, he thinks they're real. He thinks he may have even had an encounter with one. Yeah. Was it a sexual encounter? No, it was a scam. Then I don't encounter. care. Then I don't care. <laughs> Give it, play it up, make it beautiful. Patterned, repetitive knocking sounds produced with rocks or thick branches hit against other rocks or dead trees are apparently used for long distance communication or deterrence. Since they are a nocturnal species, they seem to rely on vocalizations more than diurnal primates. They are capable of a complex collection of sounds starting with whistling produced in the throat through moans, howls, hoots, grunts, extremely deep growls, roars like a lion from the bottom of a 50 gallon drum, which is a very specific description I might add, and chilling screams rising from a low roar over several seconds. More rarely, they produce mel melodic and imita uh, imitative sounds or complex vocalizations that give the impression of a primitive language, even of a, quote, woman talking without the words, ever being intelligible. The disturbing nature of the loud scream seems to lie in their perceived near-human quality, though not too loud, enduring and powerful to be attributed to any possible real person. Giggling, laughing, and crying sounds have been heard, sometimes in response to appropriate events. Which means that they are laughing at things and crying about things when people see them. That's creepy. Uh, something to think about. Listen, I, you know, I, I, if, if these things are real, I could believe that. We know elephants mourn and cry, and uh, a study came out that showed that dogs cry as well. Like, they will produce tears under emotional like a certain emotional stress and whatnot. So I wouldn't be surprised if like these giant monkey people are like crying and having emotions while they're hooting and hollering and slapping dead trees. If you cut them, <laughs> do they not bleed? Next toe. What's that a quote from? What's that a quote from? X-Men. Just kidding. Uh, next quote. Uh, next toe is, uh, why is it? Uh, I'm going to have to Google it. Don't, oh my God. What is what happening? Is the, uh, are you kidding well, me right now? What is the, what was the quote? I can't do this. It's, I can't. I'm gonna, it's if you cut us, do we not bleed? It's if you prick us. Oh, my God. I'm going to lose it's my It's if you slice us open with a big old knife. I'm do we not mind. shred I'm going to lose my mind blood. over here. The Merchant of Venice Act 3, Scene 1. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's Shakespeare, bro. All right. Well, I only read the high school ones. So. That's all right. Uh, Merchants of Venice probably isn't in high school very much. Have you seen Star Trek, Mathis? Yeah. I love Star Trek. Star Trek, the Undiscovered Country? Son of a bitch! That's a movie, Jesse. That's a movie. <laughs> That's actually very true. I've seen. Don't you remember? The thing I think about I've Memphis? only seen Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> the only Nemesis. The, the best one. The best one only. I think because I got brought to the theater with my dad. He back, said back Nemesis. The the crop. He said the cream of the crop, and that's it. Yeah, the one with the Lady Borg. Yeah. That's not even Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. I got it wrong, man. Don't the lady boy. <laughs> All right. All right. That's the one I've seen. Next toe. Next toe. Next toe. Next toe of the big feet. Foot. The next toe says that Bigfoot, this, this is why is it? 
The next cell says that Bigfoot, despite some smaller splinter groups who believe Bigfoot to be alien or extra-dimensional beings with great intention and psychic power, is most commonly said to be some sort of extinct prehistoric primate species that has somehow survived or evolved into the creatures we see out in the forests today. There aren't really many theories that hold much water with the more boring traditional scientists, but the popular theories point to either the humongous Gigantopithecus blackii, an extinct ape from Southeast Asia, Paranthropus, an extinct African ape genus, or the archaic human Neanderthals Homo erectus or Homo heidelbergensis. Uh, so that's the explanation for what a Bigfoot is. Uh, next toe is who saw it? This is great. The sighting I'm going to go with for this toe is something called the Battle of Ape Canyon, which happened in 1924. Basically, yes. these gold prospectors, Fred Beck, Gabe LeFevre, and John Peterson, and Marion Smith, and his son Roy, were about eight miles from Spirit Lake in Oregon, near a cabin they'd made as a base for prospecting. Suddenly, they came upon a group of four, quote, mountain devils moving through the forest in a way suggestive of human-like bipedal walking. Here's a short quote from the newspaper about what they saw for Jesse to read in the chat. Here we go. These animals were said to have the appearance of huge gorillas. They're covered with long black hair. Their ears are about four inches long. <laughs> it sticks straight up. They have four toes, which is weird because we've been talking about five toes. Yeah, I was that about seems to say. pretty strange. They got four toes, short and stubby. Yeah, the tracks are 13 to 14 inches long, which I guess short and stubby <laughs> when you're like me. Yeah, everything less is short and stubby is what I'm saying. Yeah, boy. This guy's a this guy's a character. These tracks have been seen by forest rangers and prospectors for years. The prospectors built a new cabin this year, and it's believed it is close to a cave thought to be occupied by animals and gold. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it took four over four years and 171 episodes before we got a Jesse Prospector oh character boy. on the show. Oh <laughs> boy. Thanks for writing Bigfoot the Ride. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so then one of the guys, probably Beck, but he denied it later, uh, can't help but shoot his rifle at one of these things. He hits it three times and it falls off a cliff. They feel a little bit safer after that and the things clear out, so they head back to the cabin for the night. Next day, they wake up before dawn to the sound of giant rocks hitting all over the outside of the building and then actually saw the whole thing start to shake as they started slamming their bodies against the walls and doors. And pretty soon, the mountain devils are able to tear a hole in the roof and get a couple rocks over towards Beck, who they knocked unconscious for almost two hours. Holy shit. Yeah. Absolute brutal revenge. I love yeah. it. <laughs> However, the Bigfoot themselves left with the sunrise, and though they could never find the body of the one they supposedly shot off the cliff, people did see the rocks and giant footprints around, uh, though only some of them believed it. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, so the next toe is, so what is it really? Uh, so for the final toe, where we kill everyone's dreams, we'll say that most likely, according to most actual scientific studies on the matter, Bigfoot doesn't actually exist. And while That's there have been many trash. hoaxes, the, the most likely culprit for perpetuation of the Bigfoot story 
is simply people's willingness to believe uh, because any natural explanation simply does not make biological sense. Uh, in fact, here's a quote from the October 19th, 2003 Albany Times Union from cultural anthropologist and ethnologist Philip Stevens from the University of Buffalo in New York for Mathis to read. How dare you make me read the debunking quote? It defies all logic that there is a population of these things sufficient to keep them going. What it takes to maintain any species, especially a long-lived species, is you gotta have a breeding population. That requires a substantial number spread out over a fairly wide area where they can find sufficient food and shelter to keep hidden from all the investigators. Another interesting thing I found on the excellent, like the legit excellent Bigfoot Wikipedia page is that in 2009, during a study published in the Journal of Biogeography, scientists used reported Bigfoot sightings to create an ecological niche model for the creature based on inferred ecological parameters. And interestingly enough, it was a pretty close match to the parameters of, Jesse called it, the American black bear, which has been regularly known to both sit and stand with upright human-like posture. So it's probably mostly just people seeing black bears. Though to be fair, that doesn't completely explain every sighting, like, for example, the Battle of Ape Canyon. And speaking of which, it's time for our first footnote, which I'm going to recall, review the footage. Get it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's footage. There, so you, did we have footage of the 1924 War of the Apes? No, we do not. Yeah. Uh, however, here's a clip that I found of a bow hunter called Tim Wells in Idaho from 2013 who actually thought it was a bear at first before realizing it was something else pulling out his camera. And while it's still at a distance, I'd say it's some of the clearest undoctored footage that I've ever seen. And I'm going to give it to you guys right now. And you guys can look at it and you can right. tell me what you think. I love it. I love this shit. It's, a little, it it's, a, it's a little clip. Yeah, it's 10 seconds. It's a little seconds. clip that I clipped from the video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I think I've seen this clip too. Oh my God, the panic in his face. So these guys are out in the woods and they're hunting, obviously. And, and they're like, they, he's standing there. He was about to like talk or something. I don't know. He's like talking to the camera. And then he turns around and in the woods, like right there, there's like this, what looks to be maybe same size as him. Like maybe six a little foot taller. Tall, yeah. Maybe a little taller, like black furry creature. And he sees it and he panics to, and as soon as it like begins to move and go away, you see him whip around to the camera, quickly grab it, and he tries to get footage of it. The only thing that that I dispute about this footage, and it's not even about the thing in the background that may or may not be a Bigfoot. When he turns to camera, he does the face everyone who like is acting does when they're like, oh, I'm so scared. Like that, like, I'm yeah, shocked the, face. Yeah, like Cloverfield face. Yeah. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, oh, I'm so panicked right now. It doesn't look like a real face that you would do if you were actually scared. Yeah. I mean, actually, I obviously a lot of people in the comments are just saying it's fake, but. Well, so what I was going to say is like uh, the face is impossible to see uh, when you pause on it in the close up there. You literally can get no detail, but the way he walks away is very human. He doesn't have that gait that so many other Sasquatch sightings on camera seem to have where that hunched with the sway. He literally walks away like a dude in a, in a hoodie or a dude in a costume. <laughs> right, that's true. Like, because if you like look at him turn and walk, I'm going to mute this too. It almost looks like there's like a point to like his hoodie that you can almost see it like point upward at the tip where like the crown would be where most most would be. It's a weird, weird video. The, it is undoctored, yeah. but it's the so The thing that's strange. interesting about this video, right, is like, this is probably what it would really look like if you did see Bigfoot is like something like mm -hmm. a little bit less magical looking. But the thing that I like about this clip more even than whether or not 
anybody believes that the ape itself is real, because I don't think that any expert has looked at this, or as far right. as I know, uh, is just that it's in focus. It's actually in the frame for a second. You can see it clearly, and then the, then the camera goes ape shit, which I really yeah. like about this. You don't usually get to see like a tight, clean pick of Bigfoot in any footage, and you're doing this. So that's the fun and thing it, about this, yeah. The other weird thing, too, is like they clearly lock gaze. They see each other, and this thing just kind of saunters away. There's like no attempt at like hiding or being animalistic. It just kind of is like, all right, bye, yep. and just walks away. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Review the yeah, footage. It's it's a cool. It's a, a very cool. Yeah, it's a very cool video. Uh, I really like it. I will try to if, if I can I'm save this link because I want to put it in the description of the podcast for people to sure. Check out. I have a bunch of links if you want for like. Yeah, definitely much send everything. me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's it for Bigfoot. Up next, we have Big Feet number two, the Almas. So what is the Almas? Toe number one, big toe. Here's a quote I found from a paper published by Nathan Wenzel of SIT Study Abroad, who actually traveled to Mongolia, conducted weeks of primary source interviews, and learned everything he could from being in the same region as the creature. This is for Jesse to read. I'm going to drop it in the chat right now. Oh, it's got to go in the Twitter chat right now. The Almas is the wild man or ape man of Mongolian legend. The Almas is consistently described as a large man-like creature between five and six and a half, okay, between five and six and a half feet tall and weighing up to 500 pounds. The Almas is always bipedal, meaning walking upright on two legs like a human. The Almas is covered in thick, dark brown, reddish brown, yellowish, or black hair all over its body except for its hands and face though they often have thick beards as well. The almas can appear as either male or female, with females having large, long, sometimes hairless breasts. Well, of course. Mm -hmm. The female almas, I mean, how else would you know? The female almas is often portrayed throwing her breasts over her shoulders in order to run or move. This is, this is a caricature. <laughs> no, it's nature. It's This nature. is how they do it, okay? This is, this a, is how they do this it. This is real. The they throw whip. their breasts over their shoulders real account. in order to run or move quickly. The face of the almost is similar to that of a human, but is also significantly different with a large protruding forehead or eyebrow ridges and a wide and flat ape-like nose. The almost is often much stronger than a human being with large, well-developed muscles all over its body. The almost is also said to have... Feet that are much wider and either longer or shorter than human feet. But never well, exactly the same size. Never the same size. Never the same. Uh, okay. Any human you pick, it's going to be longer or shorter. Uh, another main thing this uh, paper points out is that in various Bigfoot-esque legends, you get certain versions that are more ape-like and certain versions mm -hmm. that are more human-like. And apparently, the almost is much more unique and human-like than most of these big feet. Uh, so next question is, what does it do? That's the second toe of big what feet, as we know. Do? It flops its titties over its yeah. shoulder, for one. We know that. Yeah, that's true. Apparently, uh, it lives mostly in the mountains, uh, has great athletic running and climbing abilities. And some people say this also extends to swimming, though others say the almas might be afraid of water altogether and never goes near it. 
So there's conflicting uh, accounts there. Also, unlike Bigfoot, it's known to primarily travel alone. It's completely nocturnal. And apparently some stories even talk about some werewolf-like scenarios where people have been kidnapped and partially morphed into Almas themselves. Yo, dude, yeah. I'm asking Satan for powers. And I should have been at wandering yeah. the woods for an Almas. You don't want to end up with an Almas with like boobs over your shoulder. That seems like a hassle. Yo, honestly, though. Maybe. <laughs> oh, my man. All right. There should be no right. stigma around breast reduction surgery for any reason. And that's what no, that extends no, to Almas and Big Feet and anybody like that, too. Who was? No one was saying anything about that. Just saying, if it's if it's a hassle, you can just take them off and nobody's going to think any less of you. What the absolute shit are you talking about? I'll be playing with those things all day long. Oh, God. <laughs> then hell yeah. Let's buckle up. Uh, all right. Next toe. Video? Why is it? Shows, uh, shows us that primarily in the regions of Mongolia, where Almas are said to live, it's a more magical creature, which is often used as both a boogeyman figure in stories to discourage bad behavior, and as an avatar for nature and preservation in stories where people are shown as being destructive to the natural, uh, to the natural order, right? So like a guardian of nature kind of deal. Uh, for example, in one story, a poor yak herder goes looking for his missing yak in a particularly steep and dangerous area of the mountain near a ravine, where he finds it dead and half-eaten in the ravine. An Alma shows up as the culprit, they wrestle, and they fall into a ravine, where his horse also dies and gets eaten, and he limps back to town, warning children hey, to stay away no. from the ravine. Right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so in another story, an 18-year-old girl goes out looking for her family's lost calves and stays out after dark and never comes home. They look for her. They find no sign. So they assume she's just dead, uh, like you might. But six years later, a thin, sickly lady shows up back at her family home, covered in long, Bigfoot-like hair, and explains she'd been captive in a cave while she slowly turned into a monster herself. Then her father gets her so drunk that she passes out and then drunkenly kills her because he thinks it's in the family's best interest. Uh, though the guy who did these interviews thinks it's probably just a cautionary story that mostly is used as a warning to stop girls from going out to meet boys at night. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of stories of the Almas sexually assaulting people and, you know, doing much more, uh, you know, nasty, bad things to people Ooh, than just no kidnapping them. I, I was picturing the Almas teaming up with that guy we covered that fed women sand or dirt. Do you remember that would show up outside their house, woo yes. them and like feed them dirt and whatnot? Yeah, like similar vibes right up to a point, right? Up to a point. Yeah. And then, yeah, they cross the line. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, actually, the worst monster here was the dad. Uh, in the, yes. In well, the, yeah. In those stories. Uh, but let's get to the next toe, which is who saw it? In terms of more realistic sightings, uh, for the next tale, one thing I thought was really interesting was that a British archaeologist called Myra Shackley noticed that there were 19th century Tibetan and Mongolian medical texts, which list the Almas as just another animal that's out there to get ingredients and cures from. Like, it's just in the mix with all the other animals, which is pretty wild. That's that's kind of neat. Yeah, in, in, a, in like medical texts from the time. Uh, and uh, apparently its meat can cure mental illness and jaundice. So that's cool. Uh, and in 1937, Russian researchers at a monastery in the Gobi Desert saw a, quote, Alma skin being used as a ritual carpet and that it had red curly hairs, human-like fingernails, a hairless face, and long hair on the head. And uh, now I've got a little Alma story for each of you to read from this paper. So first, let's start with Mathis and the story of Zana. Zana was an alleged Almas that was captured in... Uh, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce these places. Uh, it was captured in Abkhazia 
in the Caucasus in 1850. According to local legend, the villagers tried to dress her and feed her cooked meals, but she refused clothing and would only consume raw meat. She was passed on through several owners and was eventually taught to complete some very basic household chores. Over the years, several village men took advantage of Zana, and she bore at least six children, with several dying in infancy and four surviving. The children were supposedly fairly normal, except for having exceptionally dark skin and being very physically strong. One son could reportedly lift a chair with a man sitting on it off the ground using only his jaws. That's a, oh, what's a weird little party trick? Get, get him teamed up with Boone Helm as a kid and they could like really have their own circus. <clears throat> the children were also supposedly much more intellectually developed than their mother, with one son becoming a pianist. Xana is said to have died in the 1880s, through her grand, though her grandchildren were still alive and being studied in the 1960s. So they wait. They there are there records of these like I was gonna kids? ask. Yeah. Well, so the paper goes on to explain that one of Xana's son's skulls, and maybe even the skull of Xana herself, are known to be part of the private collection of Igor Borstev at the Institute of Hominology in Russia, which is kind of like the Bifro we have here in North America, but for Russia. And while he had them both analyzed at the Human Origins Lab at New York University, and they came up completely human. Uh, M.A. Kolodieva of the Moscow State Institute of Anthropology said that while that may be so, they are quite different to skulls typical of the Abkhazian region and contain some more ancient features, which, quote, merited further study. So take from the story of Zana mm. what you will. I'm curious because, like, we have evidence in photographic footage of, like, feral people kind of like taken in like uh, there's this one I, I, this one image of this little boy that was like living in the woods and was completely feral and looked like you know looked like he'd be living in the woods right. for a long time I wonder if it's a similar thing and they just attributed like this, the legend this, lines up they with dehumanized the, with the, yeah, yeah they kind of attributed the legend to dehumanize and I'm, I'm just it's just an idea I have no idea it's, it's just it's a very interesting story it's crazy because there seems to be like a very well established chain of custody of the, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's pretty like crazy. There's actual some sort of like seems some sort of record of yeah. their existence. Uh, and now here's Jesse and some stories of Alma's slash Russian military contact. Oh, good. In 1925, in the Pamir Mountains, I assume that's how you say that, sure. Russian soldiers had cornered rebels in a cave. However, there was an Almas in the cave, which attacked the rebels one by one until one of the rebels managed to shoot and kill it. The one surviving rebel showed the Almas to Russian General Mikhail Stepanovich Topilsky, who described it in an official report. In 1940, a group of Mongolian soldiers saw what they thought to be saboteurs on the border area between China and Mongolia, so they opened fire. Whenever they got closer to examine their victims, they realized uh, they were not people at all, but some unknown hominid species. Can you imagine this? Like Hellboy. <laughs> yeah. According to one man, I in, uh, one man I interviewed, oh boy, according to one, I keep wanting to interject like, according to one man I interviewed as well as some English language sources, an Almas was captured by the Soviet army in 1941 and was thought to have been possible German spy Lieutenant Vazgen S. Karapetian, yep. Met, Vigo the Carpathian, yeah. <laughs> Vigo the Carpathian met the creature after his troops brought it to him. 
But realizing it was a wild man of some kind and faced with more pressing duties, he simply left it in the hands of his subordinates and the creature was executed. He let a fucking Bigfoot be executed, bro. That's crazy. I have more important things to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's again, that's Lieutenant Colonel Vazgen S. Karapetian. Just because I didn't want him to go down as the villain from fucking Ghostbusters. Uh, (laughs) But uh, now for the last toe of this big feat. What is it really? So this uh, is another one uh, where most experts think that, especially since this thing looks much more human than most of these big feet, it's very likely that it's probably just old hairy people in furs with long beards (laughs) or head hair or people with genetic disorders that make them stick out from their surroundings in places where there's maybe not so much medical knowledge. Uh... There's even a man uh, Wenzel found in Dadal, Mongolia, who wears furs and has long hair and a beard that looks like this and was actually nicknamed Almas by everybody who knew him. They knew him as the Almas, even though he was just a dude. Um, Other factions think that the more human-like features make a better case for archaic human descendants than the North American version, though it's all speculation. However, it is worth saying that Wenzel, who actually wrote this paper, thinks the most likely scenario is that it's some surviving species of divergent archaic human. And in response to the breeding population argument made against the Bigfoot, he makes the point that before the 20th century, mountain gorillas also occupied this same mythical space until European colonists realized that it wasn't just a tribal story and recognized it as a real animal species in 1902. This is also true of the Komodo dragon, which was officially, quote, discovered in 1910. The giant panda, which was confirmed in 1869, Przewalski's horse, that's a bad one, sorry, in 1881, (laughs) and the grizzly polar bear hybrid as recently as 2006. And now it's time for the next footnote, which I'm going to call keeping you on your feet. You get it? I like it. You're doing a great job, Alex. Ready? I'm really enjoying this. This is for you guys. For five bucks. When was the last previously unknown, uncontacted human tribe discovered? Was it A, 1953, B, 1948, C, 1997, or D, 2022? I'm going to go with this year. I feel like we're still doing that this year. I'm going to go with 97 or whatever the one right before 2022 was. The answer was D, 2022. And it's true. According to Survival International, in August and October of 2021, a team of field workers for the National Indian Foundation in Brazil found shelters, baskets, pots, and bows near the Purus River in the western Amazon rainforest and even heard people talking in the trees nearby before they eventually went back this year and confirmed the existence of a hunter-gatherer tribe of at most several dozen people. However... Under the leadership of the weirdly dictatory genocidal Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro, the government has been dragging its feet and getting these people any protection or sovereignty, and their very existence is currently in jeopardy. If you want to get involved yourself, head to survivalinternational.org. But now, it's time for big feat number three, the Agropelter. I love it. Love that name. It's called the Agropelter, and that is exactly what the fuck it is. Uh, I, wanted, I was wanting to cry, climb the aggro crag. You're right. And that's. I would have loved this that. This thing could definitely climb the aggro crag. I would have beat yeah. me and gotten that sick trophy to Toe number on. one. What is the aggro pelter? Well, since this creature came to my attention through the winding and ever shifting tapestry of American folklore, I wanted to find an appropriate and worthwhile source to cite for the episode today. 
So as you can imagine, I was overjoyed to find that in 1910, the man who eventually became the first ever commissioner of conservation and forester for the great state of Minnesota and Jesse's genuine blood relative, maybe, William Thomas Cox, uh, he wrote and published a book called Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts. And since we've got his living relative here, Jesse, maybe you can read this quote from the book that really sums up the Agropelter's vibe and really the vibe of the mysterious, just pretty much any American cryptid we have here in America. Here's a little quote for Jesse to read. The lumber regions are contracting. Stretches of forest. That's that's not a voice. I like I I was going to just let it happen. Yeah, yeah I don't too. know what that was. Uh, stretches of forest <laughs> that once seemed boundless are all but gone, and many a stream is quiet that once ran full of logs. Wow, you know what this needs? In the background, we need like one handed piano, like bum, 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 bum. Yeah. This is like. That's what Dean, Dean, that's what you're for, my man. You got this. All right. <clears throat> High res fire effects. The lumber regions are contracting. Stretches of forest that once seemed boundless are all but gone, and many a stream is quiet that once ran full of logs and echoed to the song of the river driver. That's when the camera cuts and we see a rushing river and the music kind of goes for a little bit longer. That's our beat right Zoomed there. Zoomed in, black and white photo, very slowly zooming in while moving. Yep. Some say that the old type of logger himself is becoming extinct. It is my purpose in this little book to preserve at least a description and sketch of some of the interesting animals which he has originated. Right? Yeah. Oh, I, like I was that. watching a documentary. In right? My mind. Yeah. Did they give a Webby for that? I hope so. We deserve a Webby. Reading? I mean, we, it has to be well produced yeah. Yeah. on the back end. I think it'll be right. serial level. The Webby rides on your pen. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is going to be as good as serial. Um, yep. All right. So, yeah, according to Mr. Cox and Mr. Cox and, mm-hmm. and generation beyond generation of American loggers, the agropelter is a slender big feet with clasping claws and big long arms. And while we obviously can't be sure since these things are so rarely seen, it's likely that these are much closer to the ape-shaped side of things than the human-shaped side when it comes to big feet body type. Uh, There's also a book from five years ago, which I cannot even find a copy of, called A Treasury of Legends by J.R. Lucas, which is apparently also quoted on Wikipedia as saying that the agropelter has a, quote, ash gray skull pattern on its face but the rest of its body is completely black and then it looked like a quote stretched out starving bear with the head of a gorilla and now uh for mathis i have another quote from william t cox to read in which he imparts to us the account of a lumberjack called big old kittleson i love that name big old his name is old old kittleson but his name but they call him big old kittleson because he's big uh who's he saw one (laughs) while he was quote cruising timber on the umper saint croix this is him? Uh, this is him. This is just from the book. This is just based on what he said. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, the animal has a slender, wiry body, the villainous face of an ape, and arms like muscular whiplashes, with which it can snap off dead branches and hurl them through the air like shells from a six-inch gun. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a vivid. I'm, that, I love yes, that, that is that, very that, vivid. That, I love that. Yeah. Very well William done. T. Cox can write a little bit of... He can, he can, he can spin a yarn, that, that guy. Uh... This perfectly brings us to toe number two. What does the agropelter do? What is the vibe 
of agropelters in the wild. Basically, the agropelter is known to be a completely solitary animal. According to Mr. Cox, it feeds on rare birds like, quote, hoot owls and woodpeckers, which makes it really hard for them to socialize since they're barely ever going to be in a place where there's enough food for more than one agropelter. And another book from 1939 by Henry H. Tryon called Fearsome Critters instead of Fearsome Creatures, we also know that the agropelter is sometimes referred to as the widowmaker for reasons that will soon become obvious. Uh, is an excellent climber and swinger. It also goes on to say mm. that this big feat chooses its home based off of a high amount of dead branches and weak treetops, usually like you find near a popular trail, because it's easy for it to, quote, eat out a roomy nest from the wood. Uh, and apparently, like most living things that live solitary lives in remote areas, these things really hate modern society. And in fact, here's a quote for Jesse to read about it that'll give you a great idea of what makes this particular big feat Tick. Leading a vengeful existence. Really? <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Leading a vengeful existence, resenting the intrusion of the logger, the agropelter deals misery to the lumberjack from Maine to Oregon. Ill fares the man who attempts to pass. Wow, this is great. Ill fares <laughs> the man who attempts to pass a hollow tree in which one of these creatures has taken up its temporary abode. The unfortunate is usually found smashed or pinned by a dead branch and reported as having been killed by a falling limb. So unerring is the aim of the agropelter that despite diligent search, I have been un unable to locate for many, uh, for then one, what? I have been unable to locate for then one man who has been the target for their missiles and yet survived to describe the beast. I love that. That man was fantastic. He's, he only found one guy. And that man, of course, was big old Kittleson. Apparently, uh, the agropelter nailed him right in the head with the branch he threw, but lucky for him, the wood was more rotten than he realized, and it just shattered against his skull instead of just staying rigid, which probably saved his life. Uh, this kind of keeps us perfectly moving along to toe number three, which is why is the agropelter? Where did it come from? Uh, well, besides its sort of weird eco-terrorist campaign that it does, there's not really a lot of mystical or paranormal lore around the thing other than the pretty strange idea that they only give birth on Leap Day, February 29th, and that they always have an odd number of babies. But like Mr. Cox said, the agropelter is legend from lumberback, lumberjack lore, which to me are basically little, like like basically sailor's stories, but on land. So let's just say it probably came from the same place Sea monsters did, which is from having a much closer intimacy with the natural world than any of us have. And there's probably certain things about it that people like us will never f fully understand that lumberjacks know much better. Uh, so that's what I got to say about that. Uh, next toe, fourth toe, who saw the agropelter? First of all, we already know that most lumberjacks who claim to have encountered it were either killed or outsped by the creature in a way where they never really got a chance to see it. So other than big old Kittleson, there aren't many cases of the agropelter being name-checked directly. I did find some accounts of big feet sighted in and around Canmore, Alberta, over a, at least 125-year span, according to an article from RockyMountainOutlook.com, going back to 19, uh, 1895, when 19-inch footprints Damn. were found near the southern shore of Lake Minnewanka. Uh, apparently, they set the locals into a fit, and when a couple people would spot one down by the river and filed, fired rifle at, it was like every once in a while, somebody would go down to the river, see one, fire rifles at it. 
Uh, you know, very yeah. typical. Especially in the year 1898, 1899, you could hear it shrieking in pain all the way through the valley or whatever. And then in 1899, somebody finally saw the creature. They were riding a horse and they saw the creature limping out of the area, is what they said. Uh, and it wasn't seen again specifically at that lake until 2016. Uh, however, in years between, it's been seen all over that general area, which is right kind of in that range. It's across the border in Canada, right? But it's like still in that kind of like Maine to Oregon range, if you think about it. Uh, and uh, I started to check out footage of the creature and it got me thinking that the area was right and that it maybe could be an agro pelter. Uh, and you guys can tell me what you think. Here's a clip that I found uh, from the channel Thinker Thunker for you guys to watch. <laughs> maybe we've seen this before. I can't remember. I'm sure some of you out there listening have at least seen this, but give this clip a look. Let me know what you guys think about this clip that I clipped. It's about a minute long. It's pretty good. You guys can kind of narrate through it if you guys want. Yeah, we're, we're looking at ground and a man's legs sideways. It says Alberta, Canada, construction site, blurry ground photo so far. It says eyewitness there says tree listen. We're looking at a very foggy ground that a, a tree line. They're saying something's throwing at the, throwing things at them, but I don't up. Oh, Okay, we got a stabilized, enhanced image now of maybe something throwing something. It is a blurry object. The, the, the man who is doing the measuring here is, is suggesting that the blurry thing at the bottom is a torso. And it is throwing what appears to be a long tree. Like an actual tree pulled up out of the ground and it's throwing it. I, I I don't, I mean, I will say it certainly looks like, based on the video footage, that it could be that, but it also could be an animal with a tail on the ground. Yeah. If you go back and look at it, it could be an animal with a tail. It's so blurry. And the, here's the thing. The only way we can see this is in the stabilized, enhanced version if you look at the normal version, yeah, I, I don't, I didn't see there. anything. You can kind of see it. I mean, I don't know. You can kind of. Yeah, now that I know it's there, I can kind of see it in the unenhanced version. Like I can kind of see where it's. I'm at. going back and watching it as slow as possible, so, and go it to is like 40 seconds in the actual video, and you can see kind of so, like a wider shot of it that's a little bit clearer. I think this thing looks like it's fucking throwing a tree. Like it looks, it doesn't look fake. No, me. I don't think it's fake. I just don't necessarily know what the hell it sure, is that sure. they see. Yeah, that's really the problem. Is like, but it does. There's it, like something yeah. there. It does seem to be a Bigfoot sighting in the area that the agropelter is said to live, where you get a clip of a monkey throwing a big ass tree, Man, real he's aggressively hard. pelting them. With also, guns. I mean, like if you go back and look at the in the clip you sent us, that first 26 seconds, I mean, like to me that also could be just like imagine a bear laying on the ground and like swatting with one hand. It does have that vibe too as well well what, what about the tree uh i i mean if that's a tree amazing i'm not even sure it is i don't know what that again the fact that it's enhanced stabilized on a blurry image we can't be sure that's what that is to begin with true it definitely looks like a line is moving but i don't know what that is true uh but yeah that's that's the that's the who saw it toe for the agropelter and i think i you know i put the i put the pieces together myself there that's agropelter footage in my mind how about that uh, uh i take the alex stamp of approval yeah. now really quickly for toe five where we ask what is it really i want to remind you again of a fact i mentioned back in the second toe where i said that sometimes the agropelter is also known as the widow maker 
which to me just kind of gives the whole thing away. Uh, in fact, here's a quote from the fictional young adult novel Blackwater Ben for Mathis to read, which for some yeah, reason perfect. is quoted as a source on the Agripelter Wikipedia page, but does in fact succinctly explain the real world reason this big feat probably exists. So here we go. Wendy said, when I first saw that bump on your head, I thought maybe an agropelter had cracked you. What's an agropelter, Ben asked. You know what a Widowmaker is, don't you? Ben nodded. Everyone knew about Widowmakers, dead branches that fell out of trees and killed or injured loggers. Most folk think that when a branch hits a jack over the head, it's caused by the wind or an ax shaking it loose. But that ain't always the case. There's a critter called the agropelter that lives in these woods. Most of the time when a jack's killed by a stray limb, a pelter's to blame. So that's true. That's That's, a true thing. Uh, That's actually an actual term. Widowmakers are like when the top of a tree dies and it just falls and kills you. Uh, Yeah, I can can definitely get that. Widowmakers are logger jargon. And it's also the name of this creature that was probably made up by loggers. And loggers probably tell these stories to each other to break the ice and help each other work together. So there's probably not too much more to it than that. Case closed. Or is it? It is close. Oh. Knew that was coming. It's definitely close. But before we move on to our last big feat of the day, it's time for another footnote, which in this case is a little something that I like to call foot fucking. Okay. Foot fucking is an activity that I've... I'm not even... Yeah, there's nothing I can this say. This is an activity I've made up just for Mathis, where I'm going to uh, go down the list of the last three big feet that we've covered, and he's going to give them a star rating for us on a scale of... One star, which means not fuckable, but still encrypted, so it still gets a star. Two star, which is fuckable as any natural beast. And three star, which is paranormally fuckable. If I knew it was real, I would actually try. So those are the three. Okay, all right. Let's start. Give me, give me a, with each one, give me a quick refresher of how it looks. Okay, right? yeah. Mathis, do you understand the rating system? Why is it based on how it looks, Mathis? Hold on. Whoa. All right. Let's be, why is it based I'm on how it looks? I'm a very shallow individual yeah. and I need to know uh, if it's Okay, well, at least, all right. Yeah, that checks out. Okay, that number checks. one. Yeah. Od- I can't communicate with yeah. these things, so it's we're going all look based. Prime, You're right. Yeah. It's all prime based instinct. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Okay, so here we go. Uh, OG Bigfoot, seven foot ten average, hunched. This is the Bigfoot. You know, I would normally give the Bigfoot, I think, on any given day a one. Yeah. But there's so many people out there who said they're like, he eats their ass and he's asleep and fucks <laughs> yeah. him and all this stuff. He seems stuff. like a freak. I gotta give it a three. Yeah. I might as well go for yeah. it. All right. Great. Uh number based two. On, based on the word about Bigfoot. Yeah. That's the word on the street. That's the word on the it's street. On, it's Bifro like it. approved. Uh, number two, the Almus. This is the one that's more human. This is maybe an old man in some furs. This one has the, the titties that go over the shoulder. This is the one that might turn you into a Bigfoot if you have sex with it. I, You know, again, I don't think a one is appropriate. And this is a step above an animal. So I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Great. Solid. Uh, number three. The agropelter. I don't think I really need to go into this. It's a. It said it's a stretched out bear with a gorilla's face with extremely long arms that sits in the tops of trees. It's got very strong long arms. I can only imagine the magic it works with their arms. It has to get a. Three. It's going for three. Okay, so threes yeah. across the board. And oh my gosh, absolutely, we have a bonus round. Okay, here we go. Uh, three, three more uh, ape apes. Uh, number one, the apes from Planet of the Apes. Which Planet of the Apes? The old one. Um, I'm going to give them, you know, I don't like their weird rubbery mouths. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give them a one. Okay. All right. Not real. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Right, okay. Can't How about it. the talking gorillas from Disney's Tarzan? Wait, can, can mm, I? Ta- good question. <laughs> time out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Time out. When you asked 
is it the new or old Planet of the Apes? And he said old. Is the assumption then if it was just the new one where it's literally just apes, you'd be like, I'm going to bang those yeah. apes. Well, I'll give it a two because they're like an animal. Fuckable right? is any natural beast. Yeah. Fuckable is any natural beast. Agreed. Two stars. What? Yeah, they the... would have gotten two. So now we got the Tim Burton one in the mix too. Okay. Talking gorillas from Disney's Tarzan. One, two, three. Uh, I'm honestly, that's a magical experience. Yeah. I'll what? Three. three. Okay. I want to hear what it has yeah. to say. I want to do on. you. Hoo, hoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wookiees. Oh man. Wookiees. I don't know, man. Those are scary. Uh, I'm going to go Wookiees with. Wookiees uh, are. They'll rip your arm that's off, true. man. You think they like literally rip your arm you right off. You literally were like, I bang that thing that throws trees at people. Right. Well, one's real and one's from a movie. It's a hero of the forest. It's a hero of the yeah, forest. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with, uh, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to go Wookiees are as fuckable as any natural animal. I'll go two with star? Two I like that. Okay. I don't yeah. like when you say as fuckable as any natural <laughs> animal. Mm -hmm. All right. I prefer we never say that phrase again on and this that was, show. That was foot fucking. Thanks for playing. Now let's move on to our last big feat of the day, the Barmanu. Okay. Here's the deal with the Barmanu. First toe of the big feet foot. The Barmanu is a Pakistani big feet centered mostly in the mountainous regions of the northwest parts of the country, specifically near Chitral and Gilgit and the Bumbaret Valley in Pakistan. In, the, in late 2013, the news.com.pk contributor Dr. Rahil Ahmad Siddiqui was actually able to travel to the region, look for the creature, and sought to interview people who claimed to have seen it. So most of what I know come from, comes from his report. Pretty much, far as I can tell, visually... The Barmanu is pretty much one-to-one -one with like OG American Bigfoot, Harry and the Hendersons, straight 50-50 fusion of human and buff orangutan vibes, normal stuff, except that its coloration might be slightly different based on the fact that it lives in a habitat with more large rocks and caves than thick trees, and that many of the shepherds who've seen it enough that it's not even remarkable to them when it happens any anymore report that sometimes it wears animal skins as a type of simple clothing on its back and sometimes its head. Uh... Nothing else really specific about it has been noted as far as how it looks, but it's worth noting that it's been described as both an ape and a wild man. So maybe there's some variation in the look right. between the specimens. Uh, what does it do? It has a very similar behavioral pattern to the Almas in that it's kind of keeps to itself. But if you come into its domain, it will do things to you that are bad, that you don't want it to do, that are frowned upon violent sexual acts that are no good. You don't want to get involved with this ape at all. Uh, other than that, it just keeps its distance and uh, is just kind of like a boogeyman type creature in the in the wilderness. Uh, why is it, again, nothing really beyond the archaic human or uh, isolated ape evolution type stuff uh, for the most part? But you can also posit based on the fact that it seems like maybe they range from ape to wild man because they've been described as both an okay. ape and as a wild man. Maybe you can infer some sort of half ape, half human origin. I don't know. You can point maybe to Xana, the Almas, and see how she was able to give birth to full humans. Maybe she's some sort of archaic human. We don't know. We don't know about this. This is not something that's often covered in the legends. That's not really the point of this creature in its in its cultural niche. Um, and then as far as who saw it, uh, we, we have the story from this, from this article of uh, Dr. Rahil Ahmad Siddiqui, who went to a Kafiri village and he, he was trying to sort of go to the area where the big feet were the, uh, where the Barmanu was uh, seen. And instead he found a grave 
of a Spanish man in the Kafiri cemetery. And he thought that was like fucking strange because he's like, you literally never see that. And so he found out that it was actually the grave of this, uh, like Spanish cryptozoologist from like, you know, maybe 50, 60 years ago. His name is Jordi Federico Magraner. Magraner. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm so sorry. He was born in, uh, did you try? He was born in Catalan, Spain. Uh, and, uh, in June 1967, he was among the leading cryptozoologists in the world. Uh, so here is a uh, here is a uh, quote for Jesse to read about that guy right here. Cryptozoology is a specialized field of zoology dealing with the study of and search for animals and especially legendary animals as Yeti in order to evaluate the possibility of their existence or sci uh, on scientific grounds. Magriner came to Chitral in 1992 in search of Baramanu, the Pakistani equivalent of the abominable snowman. He, along with his team, combed the wild heights of the Hindu Kush, uh, searching for scientific evidence regarding the presence of this legendary creature. From the valleys of... Kafiristan, sometimes Magriner would wander for weeks in Nuristan, the neighboring province in Afghanistan. In May 1994, during his trek to the Shishiku Valley in the Shitral, Jordi, uh, Jordi Magriner, Dr. Anne Malasinid, Sinaid, Malasinid, I'll take it. And another associate, all Europeans, reportedly heard two series of unusual guttural sounds that could have been made only by a primitive, primitive uh, primate voice box. It was late in the evening, and in fading light, it was not possible to follow the creature making the calls. But the team tracked down witnesses who claimed to have seen the foul-smelling animal that made the sounds. Yeah. So... That's kind of his deal. He's kind of like the who saw it toe of this uh, feet foot, if you will. Uh, and uh, it's crazy just because. So here's the deal. This is as close as this guy gets to Barmanu. But I want to keep going with this because it's very interesting that this guy ended up in a Kafiri grave. And I wanted to just kind of finish out that story because it's really interesting and adjacent and stuff to this uh, story. So I'm going to give Mathis the next bit of this story to read here. Not bothered by the harshness of weather, he would wander for weeks all alone in the wilderness chasing the elusive Barmanu. His constant companions were his seven pet dogs and two horses. Locals described that one of his dogs was as large as a mule, possibly a Great Dane. I was it's like a JRPG. I know. I was told that Magriner would frequently drift through the poorest border illegally into Afghanistan in the 1990s, where he befriended Ahmad Shah Massoud, the Mujahideen commander that then known as the Lion of Panjshir. He was also known to have helped a few Kafirs that got into trouble in Afghan, uh, Afghanistan through him. But Ahmad Shah Massoud died in a suicide attack, and subsequently the neighboring provinces were taken over by the Taliban. After 9-11, the area descended into chaos, and it was then that the that Magrineer ran out of his luck. Tempted to make one last attempt to get a hold of the elusive Barmanu, he wandered deep inside Nuristan and was held hostage by an armed militant group for at least three months. 
Nobody reported this incident to the authorities simply because Jordy Magriner was on the other side of the international border and that too, and that too illegally. It is said that he grew a beard and pretended to have converted to Islam. The plan worked and he was released with honor, but not for long. Yeah. Apparently, after a while, McGrainer started speaking out against the militants and against Islam. And a little while later, on August 2nd, 20, uh, 2002, he was found murdered with his servant in his tent outside a small Afghan village, possibly at the hands of his other missing servant. But nobody really knows for sure what happened. Uh, and people think it has to do with the fact that he kind of like slipped his way out of that captivity. Uh, and now that dude is the first Westerner buried in a Kafir graveyard, which is just like a crazy story. Yeah, it's yeah. very bizarre. And that dude really is like an important cryptozoologist, as as important as cryptozoologists can get uh, <laughs> on the international scene. So I just thought it was a nice story to tell. Uh, but for the, yeah, yeah, for the last toe, what is it really? Uh, unfortunately, it's probably either nothing or just something somebody made up for fun. Granted, there's nothing sinister or malicious about a culture having folk tales, even if they're just based on someone getting scared when they saw someone else who they didn't expect to be there from far away. But if you don't believe me, which you shouldn't because I'm not an expert, here's a quote for Jesse to read from Dr. Raheel Ahmad Siddiqui, who wrote this article that I think kind of sums it up. Barmanu. Is that how you say that? How do we say this? Barmanu. Barmanu appears in the folklore of the northern regions of Pakistan, and nearly all the stories tend to describe it as an ape or a wild man. Sightings of Barmanu have been reported from the Ali Valley in Kohistan district as well. Some local witnesses and nomadic Gujar shepherds, oh boy, uh, <laughs> taking herds to remote pastures and high ranges in this area, consider the encounters with this wild ape man as a routine matter. During my frequent ramblings in Kohistan and neighboring Chilas districts in connection with Daimar Basha Dam project, I could not record a credible sighting of this creature by the locals. The mystery of this wild man deepens when one considers the fact that none of the witnesses or investigating zoologists has ever discovered its dwelling and only have vague references of caves or an underground abode. It is equally intriguing that nobody has been able to photograph the elusive being. Yeah. So no evidence, yeah. no stories, nothing except for shepherds being like, oh, yeah, 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 it's real. So that's the best we got. And that campers is the Barmanu. But before we go, I have one last footnote for you today. This one's Jesse only, and it's called Fancy Feet. Okay? Fancy Feet is not a very good title for this segment because it doesn't explain what it is. But it is a, fa it is a pun on the cat food brand Fancy, Fancy Feast. Feast? Nice. And, and ah. the word feast does make you think of food. So Fancy Feet is a game where Jesse is going to pair each of the four big feet we've covered so far and pair each one with a food and beverage that perfectly captures its essence. Great. Do you understand what you have to do, Jesse? I do, yes. Great. Let's get started. What food and beverage pairing perfectly captures the essence of Bigfoot USA? Grits, corn pone, and some like uh, like a shot of mama's like <laughs> homemade bath. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, bath okay. booze. Yeah, I'll take yeah. that. All right. What food and beverage pairing perfectly capture the essence of almas Ooh, ooh. um mongolian like a like a, a like a military connection no yeah like um i'm thinking some type of like a nice is that like a russian dessert 
out there? I'm sure like there some is. Sort, some sort of like Russian uh, like baked dessert and then a big glass of milk. I love that. Like some yeah. kind of comfort. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. All right. What food and beverage pairing perfectly capture the essence of agropelta? Ooh, okay. This one's easy. Maple pancakes with the bacon baked inside of it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm, and mm, and mm. like a nice big cup of non-creamer, non-sugar coffee. I love that. That's like regular yeah. Jake the dog action over here. Yeah, it's delicious. Mm. Uh, okay. What food and beverage pairing perfectly capture the essence of Barmanu? Ooh, something that you have to eat only with your hands. Yeah. Like some sort of like, you got the dips, yeah. you got like the bread that is the whole vessel to get it in your mouth. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. Okay. Uh, bonus pairing. What food and beverage perfectly captures the essence of Mathis? <laughs> Mathis? <laughs> oh, God. All right. I'm interested. Um, Chicken strips with... <laughs> A side of sauces, but none of them are sauces you've ever heard of, and like a uh, a, a Pepsi, a normal ass Pepsi. I'm gonna go with my Mathis dish is like a cheese quesadilla and and like prepackaged Dunkin' like premixed coffee drink. <laughs> Y'all hurt me deep down. Whose whose was more accurate? Yeah. Yours. Yeah. Alex. No. Yeah. Only co- I don't drink soda pe- at all. So like Pepsi, not going to What work. about a cheese quesadilla? And chicken fingers? Cheese quesadilla? I mean, <laughs> when I was younger, when I was a vegetarian back in the uh-huh. day. That was yeah, the big one? I ate that. Like, it's like one of the only things I fucking ate. Well, there you go. <laughs> Seems like I hit that big feet right on the foot. Mathis, question for you. What meal would you describe Alex? Alex? Oh, man. See, the thing is with Alex is like he could be anything from this this huge feast of like roasted meats like ribs and bacon and these perfectly poached eggs but it could also just be like a sweet burrito that you know it's everything you've had in a burrito but it was made with love and it was delicious i disagree i disagree completely what well you you live with like way closer you guys are together much more often so you might have a better idea is a single well-prepared oyster oh and next to it is a cocktail mixed with the brine of that oyster. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll take that. That sounds great. And it's called like sea foam. <laughs> and it tastes like complete ass. But that is exactly that. what it is. It's, that's it. It's, the only place you can get it is that uh, that restaurant we went to in yeah. Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Literally Dude, just I'll, one lone oyster and this giant yeah. weird drink. And I'll that's it. it. That's it. Yeah. Me, I'll take three of those. Uh <laughs> That's it. Please buy tickets for our show on October 25th in Los Angeles at ChaluminatiPod.com. Support these episodes at Patreon.com slash ChaluminatiPod. Every once in a while, I will do a big feat. I have a lot of them that I collected information for, so I got a lot of these to burn through. Uh, And that, my Chaluminati Forest volunteer team special big feat task force, is all I've got. You each earned your badge. Uh, Look out for more surprise big feat episodes in the future. That's all I got. Get get me out of here. All right. We're out of here. We'll see you guys next week with uh, Back to the True Crime World. I'm excited. We'll see you then. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Imagine if you found the missing leap, the missing link between ape and man. I've just been still recording this whole time. 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 Anyway. 
and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out of here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. 